Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Anita Lim, who is a senior research fellow at the School of Cancer and Pharmaceutical Sciences at King's College London. And the paper is Non-Speculum Clinician Taking Samples for HPV Testing, a Cross-Sectional Study in Older Women. As the paper title suggests, this paper is all about non-speculum clinician taking samples for cervical screening. I started by asking Anita to tell us a little bit about the background evidence in this area. The uptake of cervical screening has been falling in many uh, screening programs across different countries for a long time. And we also know that the use of the speculum is one of the key reasons why many women and people with a cervix don't come for their cervical screening. And the reason for that is really quite obvious in the sense that it makes the cervical screening quite an intimate examination. And in some circumstances, it can make it quite painful um, or uncomfortable. Yeah, so clearly a barrier. Now, you've done some research on this already, and we had a paper in the BJGP uh, last year that was um, was uh, was very important. Perhaps you could just very briefly just give us a very quick summary of what you were what you were doing in that one and what you found. So, in that particular randomized controlled trial, what we were looking at it was uh, using offering women. We randomized women who were older women, aged fifty to sixty four, who hadn't come for their screening. They had to be at least, I think. Um, 10 years, they had to have been screened at least once in the last 10 years, but that they hadn't, they were at least one year overdue for their cervical screening. So this is what we would consider to be a lapsed attender population. So it's not that they've never been for screening, but they haven't come for uh, quite a while. And what we did was we randomized those women uh, to receive either in a one-to-one, either they were going to get a letter inviting them to either order a self-sampling kit or to have the opportunity to come and book in for a non-clinician, a non-speculum clinician sample. And this is just uh, a sample taken by a doctor or a nurse without a speculum, and this is a, a vaginal, it's essentially a high vaginal sample taken with a flop swab. And then uh, the other group were randomised to usual care, so they were just a control group. And what we found was that once we randomised these uh, women is that we found that uh, 17% more women actually came for their screening compared to the control group. Yeah, this is a really substantial improvement in uptake, I think, in terms of that, that 17% is absolute as well. It's not the relative number, isn't it? That was the absolute difference, I think we should point out. So there was quite, a, quite an improvement in getting women who just, well, and people with cervix who just would not otherwise lapse attendees who would not otherwise attend. So really successful and really important. And that, I think that forms important background here. Perhaps, and this paper follows on from that to, uh, and explores this area a little bit more. Perhaps you could tell us what you did in this one. So this particular paper was looking at the test performance of what we call non-speculum clinician sampling. And actually, although you say that it was a follow-on, we actually did take it, we conducted it prior to the randomized control trial, but they're totally related. So we had this idea of, of doing non-speculum clinician sampling, and there it was an idea that there's no real scientific reason to think that the test performance of it as a screening test would be any different from self-sampling. And there's a lot of uh, robust evidence on the test performance accuracy for self-sampling for cervical screening already. But we wanted to do a small study before we went ahead and did an RCT in the target population of this approach, just because we didn't want there to be um, a surprisingly, unexpectedly low 
clinical performance of using this approach because you don't want to be doing that in your RCT. But also there had been reports of lower HPV DNA concentration and lower sensitivity for HPV um, and for self-sampling in, in um, some old older women. Yeah, I think um, we've certainly had some papers in recent times in the journal that you just can't, you just got to be really careful about assuming anything. And that obviously that's, um, this is an important bit of work that had to happen to make sure that um, that sampling approach, the clinician sampling approach was going to work. Tell us a little bit about what you found. So what we found is, so we, we did this as a cross-sectional study, and what we found is we, we were comparing um, non-speculum samples to either the gold standard conventional uh, clinician-taken sample with a speculum or um, with actual uh, high-grade cervical disease in colposcopy. So what we found was that uh, non-speculum clinician sampling had a sensitivity of about 83.3% for detecting high-grade cervical disease. And we found that um, quite a high concordance of HPV test results for the non-speculum and the speculum samples uh, taken during the study and 96.6% concordance with the samples that we took um, in routine screening GP primary care. To our knowledge, this is the first study that's actually explored the test performance of non-speculum clinician sampling for HPV testing. You've gone over the numbers there. They're really helpful. Can perhaps just, for those that are not entirely familiar with the numbers, how does those compare to the normal? I think what we saw here is that the concordance is, is of the sampling was very comparable to what we've seen in self-sampling studies, perhaps a little bit lower, um, but this is a really small study. So we haven't quite mentioned the sample sizes yet, but because of the way that the study was performed and coming to the limitations here is that we had relatively small numbers of women who actually had a high confirmed high-grade cervical disease confirmed with a biopsy. And those are your the best endpoints that you want to look at for a study like this are really looking at the clinical histological outcomes uh, as opposed to virological. Now, uh, but this is what we did within the constraints. So that is one of the constraints of the study. Another constraint of the study is that some of the samples, uh, ideally, you would want to be doing, if you're comparing HPV tests with different sampling approaches, you do want paired samples. And uh, because, again, because when you're in colposcopy, we didn't necessarily want to be taking a lot of samples. uh, so, So it's not strictly paired sampling in the colposcopy group. And also... Because we were looking at uh, women who, in colposcopy, we looked at to look at the sensitivity, we were looking at women who had confirmed high-grade cervical disease on biopsy. One of the disadvantages of that is that then the non-speculum sample that we took was taken after that. And if if it's taken after that, sometimes disturbance to the cervix can cause clearance of HPV. So we had to deal with all of these constraints within the study. Yeah. Okay. It's always important to be aware of the limitations so we can interpret appropriately. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the implications. Uh, One of the first lines in your implications of the paper is that we know that screening non-attendance is really a significant and important risk factor when it comes to cervical cancer. Tell us a little bit more about where you think this this field is going or this area is going in terms of screening for cervical cancer and the areas we need to develop. So I'm, I'm really excited about this area of cervical screening. I think it's a really exciting area that's developing here. So we've had falling uptake in screening across most cervical screening programs, and we've not been able to touch it. But having these new approaches to cervical screening are really giving women and people with the cervix more choice. And I think that this particular approach, non-speculum clinician sampling, is one that's so easy to, um, 
to that will fit into clinical practice quite easily. I don't think a part of what we did in the study is that we actually had took some of the samples within GP primary care in the setting where women were having their routine screening uh, test, and that told us already that it is really feasible. And we also looked at the experiences of some of women. Uh, when they had that test taken. So these are women who were attending routine screening anyway, and they had the non-speculum sample taken as part of the study on the same day. Now, the, the, these women did a questionnaire for us, and they we asked them about their views and acceptability, and 71% of women indicated that they would prefer to have a non-speculum clinician sample taken for their next screening test. So I think this gives us an indication of what might happen in the future if we were to offer this. And another thing that I think is really important for this is that of those women who were attending routine screening, there were 3% of them who had come for the routine screening and they actually couldn't even have that sample taken because of pain with the speculum or difficulty inserting the speculum. And to me, that speaks to the clinical need for something like this because all of these women could, they, some of them had to come back multiple times and some of them just couldn't be screened at all. And we would then be able to capture these women. Yeah. So all in all, this looks like an incredibly um, important, certainly a promising area when it comes to cervical screening. And um, we'll hope it can, we'll hope we'll see a lot more work exploring it in larger studies in the future. Anita, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.org. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.